Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I remember our missionary, Phil Caldwell, who uh, before he went home to heaven, he had a wonderful, effective ministry on radio with Transworld Radio and a mailing ministry to the Jewish people all over Europe and Russia And he lived and he worked from his flat in London. And Phil's flat in London was in a place called Dulwich. And that building that he was in had three floors, and Phil and his sister were living on the second floor, and they were paying about $600 a month. And, you know, and Dulwich was kind of a dangerous area. And I remember I would take the train to, to Elephant and Castle there, and, which is also not exactly the safest area. But anyways, I'd get out there and I'd get in a taxi, and I would say, I'd tell him, I'd say, take me to Dulwich. And the taxi cab driver would turn around and stare at me like, you know, you sure you want to go to Dulwich? I said, yeah, take me to Dulwich. Now, the building itself was worth about $300,000. And the lady who owned the building, she loved the Lord. She loved the work that Phil and June were doing. So she wanted to sell the building. She was getting old. She wanted to sell the building. And so because she loved the Jewish work that Phil and June were doing, she offered that building to Phil for $30,000, one-tenth, less than one-tenth of what it was worth. And when Phil explained it to me, I thought to myself, oh, that's a good deal, Phil. You ought to take it. Yeah. And Phil says, well, I have to take it to the Lord in my devotion times and pray about it. And he did. And he came back and he said, no. I've decided, no, I'll just go ahead and move on to another place and not buy the building. And I said, Phil, what? This is such a great deal. You should do it. Phil says, no. Phil moved on. He rented a small house next to a church in Croydon for $850 a month. Croydon's also not exactly a safe area. But what happened was that Phil continued seamlessly without any interruptions, any distractions in the Jewish work with the radio ministry, with the radio being translated into Russian, going out all over Russia, and with the mailing ministry from Croydon with no interruptions. Meanwhile, back in Dulwich at that building that was the great deal, what happened? The mortar fell out between the bricks, and it took a huge expense and time to remortar that building. And if Phil was back there, it would have sucked his time and resources because now he's got to remortar the building. And I looked at that. I thought a lot about it. And I thought, you know what Phil did? He built his verse 20, El Elohe Phil, God, the God of Phil. He listened to God. During Phil's devotion times, God guided Phil to walk away from the good deal in Dulwich and continue uninterrupted in his work of reaching European and Russian Jews with the gospel. Now, the reality is is that 
Phil didn't live that much longer until he went to heaven in that place. And as I looked back at it, I thought, boy, you know, because I visited him in both places often, and I thought to myself, you know, looking back on it now, he was able to get that many more broadcasts out. He was able to get that many mailings out. He was able to write that many more booklets for Jewish people, and that many more Jewish people were reached with the gospel. As opposed to, he was able to get that many more bricks remortared on a building that was dead. And I thought, that was of God. That was of God. God does not want to see us waste our time, waste our resources constructing houses we end up walking away from abandoning. And as we see Jacob building an altar for God, as we see him not building, I should say, we, we, he didn't do it. As we see him not building this altar for God in Sukkot, we see, him, we see a big mistake that he made, and he built a house. And whenever I read this verse, I always ask myself, what houses am I building? Because I haven't built first the altar to God and gotten direction from God. What am I wasting my time and resources and my strength on, which is limited, because I haven't built first the altar to God and got the direction? Jacob did not build an altar to God when he was back there at Sukkot, and it cost him. And you look at the land that's there, that was there, just picture it in your mind. Picture in your mind the land that was there at Sukkot, and he's okay, here's my room for my house, here's my room for my cattle, and... Where's the room for God? No, there's no altar. There's no room for God. Jacob did not make room for God. Jacob made room for himself, and he built a house. But Jacob did not make room for God. It's just almost as if we can hear God say, I need a little room here, Jacob, to work in, if you don't mind. A little room, please. You know, we take that, and we look at ourselves, and we say to ourselves, how do we make room for God? How do we give God room? We give God room when we give God our emptiness. When we give him the emptiness of our heart, the land of our heart, and we say to him, God, please fill me because I'm empty. We give God room when we give God our weaknesses. When we come to him, we say, oh, God, I give you my weaknesses so he can make us strong. But we don't give God any room When we say, empty, I'm not empty. I'm quite full and satisfied, thank you very much. Then God says, well, then I don't have any room to fill you if you're not empty. We don't give God any room when we say, I'm strong. I'm very strong. I feel great. Oh, what a beautiful morning. I feel great. And God says, you feel great. You feel like you're strong. I don't have any room to strengthen you. That was the Laodicean church. They did not give God any room when they said in Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art really wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so what did God do? That was Revelation 3.17. He does something, the next verse. Revelation 3.18, what does he do? He counsels them to give me some room. Give me some room by saying that you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. That's what he says in Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee 
to buy of me gold pride in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest be. God was saying to them, if you don't give me any room, I can't do anything for you. I can't do anything for you if you don't give me any room by coming. If you're not going to come to me empty and naked and blind, then I don't have any room. I don't have any room to work. When Jacob built that house in Sukkot, Jacob didn't give God any room, no altar. And he was so out of character with his grandfather and his father by building the house. Whenever Abraham moved to a new location, what do we see Abraham doing? Always the same two things. It was like the hallmark characteristic of Abraham. Genesis 12, 8, and he, Abraham, removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Chapter later, Genesis 13, 18, then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Whenever Abraham moved to a new location, we see him doing the same two things. He builds an altar, he gives God room, and he pitches his tent. He never built a house. And when Isaac moved to a new location, we see Isaac following dad's, Abraham's example, and doing the same two things. Genesis 26, 25, Isaac. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. Isaac built an altar and pitched his tent. Isaac never built a house. Why didn't Abraham and Isaac ever build a house after they built their altars? We're told in Hebrews 11.9, Hebrews 11.9 through 10, by faith, Abraham, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, when Abraham and Isaac built their altars, they spent time with God. They were in an ungodly world that was all around them, but they spent time with God. And the more time they spent with God, that world all around them seemed stranger and stranger, a strange country. And they said, I don't want to settle down here. They say, I don't want to settle down. I'm not going to build a house in a strange country. So that caused them to be on the lookout. Look for the special city. I'll build my house when I find this city. What's the city? It's got foundations. What kind of foundations? Godly foundations. And they couldn't find it in this ungodly world, so they lived in tents. You know, the more we build our altars and the closer we get to God, the more we say El Elohe in our name, the more this world with all of its ungodliness will seem stranger and stranger to us and not the place we want to settle down in. And in Sukkot, Jacob learned his lesson and Jacob abandoned the house. Praise God that Jacob abandoned his house and didn't sit there and say, I put so much in the house, I'll just spend out my days. No, he abandoned the house that he built there. We never see him building a house again. And for the believer who sees this ungodly world as so strange, 
and he feels so out of place, out of place, out of place, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. For Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, the symbol of feeling at home in this ungodly world was for them to build a house. And the symbol for them to not feel at home in this ungodly world was for them to live in a tent, not build a house. Woe to the Christian who feels so at home in this ungodly world. Jacob, he tried to feel at home in the world, he built the house, and we see him walking away and abandoning his house and never building a house again. Now we read in verse 18, now Jacob came to Shalom, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. When it says here in verse 18, Jacob came to Shalom, a city of Shechem, the word Shalom has a very interesting meaning. The word Shalom and the word Shalom, so I said Shalem, which is in verse 18, and Shalom, both come from the same root word. You know, everybody in Israel today, that's all you hear. Shalom, 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 shalom. When you meet a person in Israel, it's shalom. And when you say goodbye to a person in Israel, it's shalom, shalom. Everything is shalom, shalom, shalom. But what does shalom mean? What does shalom mean in its root meaning? Well, if I say today, what's the common understanding of the word shalom? Yeah, everybody's gonna say peace. Of course, we know peace. People say peace, shalom means peace. It's like, how for the Indian, right? So how, is that what people are saying today all the time when they say shalom, 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 peace, 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 how, how, how? No war, no war, no war. No suicide bombers, no, no knives. You greet someone and you say, no war? And, and when you say goodbye, you say, no war? Shalom from its root meaning does not mean peace. Shalom from its root does not mean peace. Shalom from its root does not mean peace. Shalom and shalem in verse 18 both come from the same root of shalom, all right? So shalem, verse 18, shalom, the common greeting, they both come from the same root, shalom, shalom. Shalom means completeness. Shalom means completeness. So when you say shalom, you are really saying from its root meaning, be complete. It's like a desire, a desired blessing. I desire the blessing on you that you should be complete. Shalom is peace from being complete. And knowing that transforms for us the meaning of shalom. It means to be complete. May you have completeness. We know what it means to be complete We know what it means to have a completeness that results in a peace. We have a special, as believers, we have a special shalom completeness. It's described for us throughout the book of Colossians, but especially in Colossians 2, 6, and verses 9 through 10. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6, 9, and 10. Colossians 2, 6. Ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
We're talking about receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. Verse nine, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him. Ye are shalom in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Only persons in the Lord Jesus Christ can have true shalom completeness. Verse 10, you are complete in him. What does it mean? You have completeness in him. You have shalom completeness in him. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.30, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ in being made wisdom? In other words, Christ has made unto us wisdom. How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made unto them their righteousness? How can anyone have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made for them their sanctification, their cleansing from sin? How can anyone in this world have shalom peace if they are not complete with Christ being made unto them their redemption, as it says in Colossians 1.14, Colossians 1.14, in whom the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ can a person have the peace that comes from shalom, completeness. And when we say shalom, for us, we're meaning may you have the completeness that comes from being in the Messiah, having received the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, from being complete in him, may you have that shalom, completeness, And when the Lord Jesus Christ used the word peace, shalom, he said shalom, because he wasn't speaking Greek at that time, he was speaking Aramaic Hebrew, shalom, and the root meaning of completeness, it explains so much to us. When we read a verse like John 14, 27, peace, shalom, completeness, I leave with you my peace, my shalom, my completeness, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. What is that shalom completeness the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to when he said, my shalom, I give unto you. It was the shalom of being complete in him. What does it look like to be complete in him? The hymn puts it best. Complete in thee, no work of mine may take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and I am now complete in thee. Justified, oh, blessed thought. Sanctified, salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. By contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ said that his shalom completeness was not the same as the world's. Well, what is the world's completeness? What's the world's fulfillment? What's the world's, you reach this, you got it all. The world's completeness is to be accepted and honored among men while being rejected and denied by God. The world's completeness is to have pleasures galore temporarily. 
and then to suffer for eternity. The world's completeness is to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Someone asked me yesterday, you consider yourself a completed Jew? I said, yes. I said, as a matter of fact, a Jew in the Lord Jesus Christ is a completed Jew with shalom completeness. A Gentile in the Lord Jesus Christ is a completed Gentile with shalom completeness. And this explains the interesting meaning behind this word shalem in verse 18. It means being complete with safety and peace and good health. And because shalem has this meaning, it's not at all clear if shalem in verse 18 is referring to a name of a city that Jacob came to or the condition of Jacob when he came to the city of Shechem. So the King James makes it sound like Shalem was a city. But all other translations, including the New King James, take this word Shalem to express that Jacob came safe and sound to the city of Shechem. And that's how I see this as well. In the sentence is that in verse 18, the word Shalem is really referring to Jacob's condition, being safe and sound at peace when he comes to the city of Shechem. So he comes to the city of Shechem. He's complete in his peace and his, his health and safety. It's talking about how Jacob arrived when he came to the city of Shechem. He pitched his tent there before the city. And like Jacob, sometimes we really feel ourselves in this state of of peace and health and safety, and it's a time to thank God. It's a time to stop and thank God. You know, it's a wonderful phrase that the Lord expresses how, that expressing how the Lord takes care of us, and it's a phrase, thy going out and thy coming in. And that's a phrase that's used in Psalm 121.8, Psalm 128. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Thank God for preserving us in our going out and our coming in. Now, in the next chapter, Jacob's gonna face one of the most severe trials in his life in this city of Shechem here. And that gives us all the more meaning when we read that Jacob was in this state of Shalem and when he arrives in the city of Shechem because it shows us how God prepared Jacob for the trial he was gonna face. You know, Shalem expresses how God prepared Jacob for this trial in Shechem. He, he faced a great trial when he came to Peniel, when he wrestled with God, had his thigh put out of joint. How did God prepare Jacob before that all-night wrestling at Peniel when he got his thigh put out joint? How was the preparation, you remember? Beginning of chapter 32. Yeah. And then what happened in, in Genesis 32, 1 and 2? The Genesis 32, 1 and 2. He saw the angels of God, the Mahanaim. That was the two camps. He saw the two. The, I have a camp. Angels of God got a camp over here, too. That's the meaning behind the place. Mahanaim, two camps. You know? And so that was an encouragement to Jacob. He needed a great encouragement. And so he got it by seeing the angels. Sometimes we need a great encouragement. God's provided a great verse for us in Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That was spoken to the Jewish people in a time of great discouragement.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 